So you're telling me that any dentist who had whitened before 2011 uh, technically was breaking the law? Yeah. That's hilarious. Correct. But also, the General Dental Council were very clear in their direction. And they said, if there's treatment of disease for under-18s, then it's appropriate to treat mm -hmm. for whitening. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Patrice Rati, I'm Jazz Galati, and I'm not going to waste any time in this introduction. I really want you to get into the heart of this episode. This episode will really get the fire in your belly going. This is such an inspirational episode by Linda Greenwell. If you don't know Linda Greenwell, which you should do, you should know Linda Greenwell. She is the undisputed queen of teeth whitening. What she doesn't know about teeth whitening is just not worth knowing. And it all stemmed from a discussion on our Facebook group, the Protrusive Dental Community Facebook group, which is just a, a thriving group of dentists who are passionate about dentistry, so it's great to have you all on there. Now, Patrice Rati, what happened is that someone posted about teeth whitening in under-18s. Now, there are cases where you may need to do this. For example, fluorosis, MIH, these are things that we will actually touch on in the episode. Uh, and there are some strong opinions by dentists that I really respect, really care for, really admire on the group that actually you shouldn't do teeth whitening on under-18 in the UK, where it is technically uh, illegal. It's technically illegal, right? It's a, it's a against the law because it's some silly uh, European directive. Uh, so this episode, I'm hoping, will give you the confidence. If you've got a child who's getting bullied and they're 14 uh, and you feel as though you're at a loss and you're, you're, you have to, you have no choice but to uh, cut the teeth or plaster composite all over them and where, whereas all what they might need is some whitening, then this episode will really give you so much clarity uh, and I'm happy to my hands up and say I whiten for under 18s when there is disease, okay? And, and that should be very much part of your protocol as well. I'm hoping you will see that after this episode. Now, so just before we join this very contentious issue, uh, I'm going to give you the protrusive dental one of the things I found the most annoying in my own cases in the past, and sometimes occasionally because I've changed equipment so I see this, is uh, lighting differences in before and after photos. And I see this on social media all the time. Before whitening and after whitening and after whitening, not only have the teeth whitened, but the, it's, it's a different patient's gums and the skin has gone like 17 different shades uh, whiter. So it is an annoying thing to have before and afters where uh, not just the teeth have changed, but the gum and the skin has also changed. Therefore, what you need to learn to do if you're not doing already is use manual flash settings instead of ETTL. Now, usually ETTL is more convenient, it's quick, it's, it's the quick and dirty and the, and the good thing to do for daily practice. But when it comes to teeth whitening, that's where I'm gonna switch to the manual flash. I know that when I'm using my Canon MR14EX Mark II, that when I'm taking a photo um, on manual flash, but when it's a three to one uh, ratio photo, I know that I think I'm around about one over five flash power, and that gives me a good photo that I'm happy with. So once the teeth whitening course has finished again I'm at three to one I'm using that manual flash setting again and no other settings have changed your uh, aperture size is the same for me it's 22 your ISO should be the same for me it's 200 uh, and the shutter speed for me is 1 over 125 it could be slightly different for you that's cool whatever produces a good consistent image so really if nothing's changed the color of the teeth should be 
different because you've whitened, but the gums and the skin should be the same, providing you've taken it at the correct angle uh, and been as consistent as possible on your side. Uh, and that's how you get better before and after photos. Now, if this is all confusing you uh, and, and you get confused by photos and you need a bit of help to get good quality, basic dental photos, uh, then I'm starting a challenge. I'm starting a, a 21 day photography challenge. So every day uh, you want unlock one lecture, which is like a five minute little thing, just to show you from equipment decision and choosing equipment to actually uh, how to take your first few snaps, how to get consistent occlusive photographs, what are the settings you need to choose. So uh, over 21 days, you'll watch video after video after video, and you should be able to take uh, from something like this, like a telephone style photographs or a lack of consistency in framing is poor, to something that's uh, better, uh, the kind of photos that you want to be taking for your photography. So uh, if that sounds appealing to you, jump to protrusive.co.uk forward slash challenge, uh, and then you'll be able to pre-register. So when I launch that, you'll get the email. And don't worry, it's not like a expensive course or anything. It is something that's going to be very affordable and very quickly get you some results without having you to leave your home and something you can actually watch in the practice every day on your lunch break. And that's very much how I'm designing it. 21 days of you at work watching short little videos to get consistent and good quality photographs, including whitening photographs. Anyway, let's join Linda for this phenomenal episode. I know you're going to love it and I'll catch you in the outro. Linda Greenwell, welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I am so pumped for today's episode. Uh, Linda, look, for those very few people who don't know you, like, you know, you are the undisputed uh, queen of whitening. There's not even a king of whitening. You are just the the, the single monarch of whitening. Uh, like, even last night, in the middle of the night, I, like, woke up and I thought, oh, my God, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing Linda and I haven't whitened my teeth for two months. You know how, like, patients apologize their dentists for not brushing their teeth? That's how I felt last, last night. Uh, if you think of teeth whitening, you think of Linda Greenwell. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how did that come to be? How did you single-handedly come to, to, to dominate anything and everything teeth whitening in a good way? And I mean like, wow, what the, I've been to your lectures and stuff. You're so passionate about it. You're oozing so many brilliance about it. Tell us about your journey with that. So thanks. Um, the, the journey is that um, I was doing my master's degree at, at Guy's and I needed to find a research topic. I, I love to learn about contemporary controversial issues. It's right, been right from the beginning, just by the way. And um, I was interested in this whole debate about mercury toxicity and patients complaining that their fillings were toxic and they were being poisoned and they were losing their memories and all those things. And at the time, dentists were ripping out amalgams to place composite restorations because that was in their best interest and this every, life was going to be healed. Their lives were healed, not only their dentistry, but their lives because their amalgam fillings were removed. So I asked to do this research study and I spent six, six months researching this um, to discover what is it, what's the real truth and what's the science behind it, where's the evidence, where's the evidence that these patients are seriously ill and get cancer because of their amalgam fillings. And I spent a long time doing this and my conclusions were, in case you wanted to know, my conclusions yes, were yes. that those patients who were complaining about their amalgam fillings, this is a really big study in Sweden, really big. These patients who were complaining about amalgam fillings and toxicity, etc., were unemployed, were unhappy with their lives, and um, you know there were other issues associated with the amalgam fillings. What we did find, and this is really of relevance clinically to this day, that if you have an amalgam on a buccal surface, you can. there's much more chance that you can get lichen planus. 
So if you have lichen planus associated with amalgam filling, or let's say on a lower seven buckle, then that's a reason to take it out. And so, um, and then, and, and I have found from that research that doing that actually makes a difference to the lichen planus and can clear it mm -hmm. up. So that clinically, that was relevant. And then I was sure. about to do my research study where you have to do, you know, long research study. And my professor, whose name was BGN Smith, said, uh, no, Linda, we're not going to do the study um, because we know what you're going to find. And so I was like, what do you mean? I said, in six months of my life researching this topic. And he goes, no, find something else. So I went <laughs> off to the library and um, I saw this paper, I saw this photograph of on the front cover of Quintessence. So this was, um, I was started my master's in 1990 to 92. And the first publication on whitening as we know it was in 1989. And I saw in Quintessence this photograph, upper teeth were white and the lower teeth were yellow. And I go, what's going on here? How can this be? And so I read the article and I took the Quintessence publications to the professor and I said, please, I think I'd like to research this. He goes, really? So I said, yeah, I'd like to do that. And so I started one of the very early studies. Um, and what we did is we spun blood into teeth. We collated a whole lot of wisdom teeth. Uh, we spun blood into the teeth. We discolored them artificially. I then sectioned them. And then um, we tested all the uh, whitening products that were available at that time because I was very skeptical and I didn't actually think that it worked myself. I wasn't so sure. Mm. Um, and so we tested and we found, and, and then we collated our own shade guide, and we found actually that it did make a significant difference. And then I had to put the teeth into saliva while we, were, while we weren't bleaching, and then I had to photograph them. It was a very intense study, a very long study, and I'd just become a, a new mother with my first baby, and I was stuck on Mother's Day in the lab at Guy's on the Sunday taking photos oh. when I should have been at home with my little baby. And so I did, I did regret that a little bit. But anyway, um, and, um, and so we conducted the research study. I got a master's for the research study. Uh, um, I got a um, distinction, like an award for the, I don't know. But, um, but the thing was that I read every single study in 1990 to 92 to see if it was relevant. How does it affect um, for everything? Because we knew nothing about the subject. So how does it affect uh, glossoonomous cement? How does it affect our IRM? How does it affect amalgam? How, you know, all the effect on existing dental materials. And then I went into it. And then a few years later, um, I was approached by a publishing house to write, to do a book on it. They go, it will be so easy, Linda. Just take a couple of photos and that's all it is. And, you know, like, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> um, and then I had a few more kids along the way. And so the first uh, publication came out, uh, that one was uh, 2001. Wow. So quite a few years after your research project. <laughs> so that was three. <laughs> then it was actually three years, three babies later, actually. Um, and then, yeah, so we published that in 2001. And then I had another baby the next year, <laughs> four sons. But um, amazing. But what we first of all, writing a book is really intense. It, it means a lot of hours. I used to do it at ten o'clock on a Saturday night when the babies were sleeping, and then I'd go ten till two, and I could sleep late on a Sunday because you know doing dentistry you have to be highly focused. You, you know, can't have a, a bad night with no sleep. So yeah. So then in terms of looking at every single research study and trying to understand, I then went to the original researchers. 
um, like Van Hayward and I messaged him and mm -hmm. we became very good friends and he's a really, really kind man. So your readers should go onto his website, which is vanhayward.com. And you can download all his articles he's published on whitening, which is over, over 250. And by the way, go onto my website, which is lindagreenall.com, and all my publications Absolutely. are there as well. So please, please look at that. And so um, he was very willing to share his knowledge. So I traveled to Chicago to the, uh, to the midwinter meeting to meet with him, and we've stayed friends ever since. And then all those people who published those early research studies, I contacted them all, and I connected with them, and I went to meet with them. So Ilan Rothstein, who published on the effect of amalgam and whitening. So there, there's another, there was a link there. And he also published on the a drop in... Uh, your bond strength, between 20% reduction in bond strength after bleaching. So that's relevant to this day. So I traveled to Paris. He's, he, lives in, um, he lives in Southern California. So I traveled to Paris to meet with him, to quiz him and pick his brain and ask him all those questions to try and find. But at the same time, what was happening, Jazzy, was that um, the academics in the UK were very skeptical and they would like push it to the side. So it was like considered a sideline and they didn't want to get involved. And it's almost to this day that they, they think, oh, well, it's just cosmetic. So they don't want to get involved. So that's when you say single-handedly, I'd had to do that because people were not willing to, um, to listen because it was considered cosmetic and so therefore trivial. I can just say, even within the undergraduate uh, scheme of things uh, at Sheffield, I felt as though we were taught very little on teeth whitening. And I actually remember being uh, a DCT at, at Sheffield, and I'd seen uh, this young lady for non-mital bleaching of an upper, upper lateral incisor. So I did the re-RCT, uh, I did the, the whitening of that lateral incisor, and then now this lateral incisor was a beautiful shade of uh, B1+, plus, you know, like B0. But all the other teeth were obviously darkened. And then we had to discharge the patient because we didn't do cosmetic procedures. How crazy is that, Linda, that I whitened this one tooth because that was pathology and I couldn't then give her more bleach uh, or more, more, more whitening gel to do the rest. That, that for me was an eye-awakening moment in 2014. That's when I started to discover you and uh, all the messages that you send. So listening to your story there, firstly, kudos to you. Well done for, for grabbing these opportunities by the horns and going for it, traveling to US and, 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 and France to, to make these things happen, you know, get the, the wheels in motion about this. And you're just such an inspirational woman and your work ethic is just amazing. Thank you. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We worked so hard on this protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. So, um, so in terms of controversies, because the academics didn't want to listen, they, they therefore didn't make it a serious subject in which you teach the subject. So now it's been, so that publication's 1989. So now it's like 32 years 
where oh we have goodness. body of evidence of scientific literature of efficacy, of safety, of effectiveness, of, uh, you know, uh, impact and all those things and um, quality of life improvement. And, um, and, you know, we've got all that evidence just from this one technique, the home bleaching technique. So, you know, so you can't ignore the research and the science. And what I find is that most dentists have actually never done a proper training on whitening. So yesterday we did a whole online training with Icon and whitening and it was training mainly the dentist in Scotland. And we went through and discussed all that. But most dentists, they make it up as they go along whitening. Nobody's trained them. They just see what does their principal do. They don't know. So they use the wrong concentration and they just wing it. Can I share my experiences, Linda, with that? So, um, as a, as a DF one, um, I didn't know how to, how to how to whiten at that point at that stage because I wasn't taught as an undergraduate. I didn't know about uh, tray designs. I didn't know about wood gel to use. And so, the classic way is just like you suggested. Uh, I asked my principal. I said, "Hey, um, I, I think I need to go on some sort of whitening course." And he said to me, "You don't need to go on a course. I, I'll just write your prescription and you know just just do it. It's fine." And Linda, I had to learn the hard way. Like you know. Um, Firstly, you learn the importance medical legally to take photographs, then how to take good photographs that are consistent before and after. Then I went to some of your lectures and I learned about the importance uh, uh, of uh, motivating these patients, seeing them two weeks later and, and seeing how they're doing. So you gave me so many gems and tips and even things like, which I'm happy to share with everyone, something that you teach is um, if you have someone, you, you start teeth whining and you taught me that if they suddenly come back with, with, with severe pain, then that could be because there's a non-lital tooth in there. Uh, and then someone posted on Facebook around about four months ago saying, Hey guys, I whitened these teeth and they showed uh, some intraoral photos. And then she's complaining of uh, severe pain from the lower incisor. And I said, Hey, Linda taught me that uh, this could be non vital. Take a PA. So then he took a PA and lo and behold, had an apical infection. And that was all thanks to you. So these are the little fine details. And there's so much more to it, obviously, that we miss out because we think that whitening is just this little procedure that's easy to do. You're, you're so right. The thing is that on a patient's journey, Patients want to have whitening because they want the benefits of it and they want to look good. But on a patient's journey, whitening is the beginning of the treatment plan. So therefore, and the, and the legislation in the UK is very strict. It says first, first uh, treatment cycle, first e examination to exclude pathology. And that means that every, peri every discolored tooth needs a periapical radiograph for exactly what you're describing. Because even though there's a tiny color difference between a central... Uh, two central incisors that could have had a calcific metamorphosis or, or something, but there are other things that go on. And, you know, dentists, there's a whole debate, another controversial issue, should you be taking radiographs? And I saw a whole debate on Facebook where the American dentists take radiographs post-cleaning um, to check for plaque. Post-cementation wow. Post-cementation and all that stuff, and we don't. But preoperatively, when you, you need to know what you're dealing with on a new patient. So, yes, it's my experience that I'm, I'm a prosthodontist training, and so we take periapical radiographs on new patients on all the teeth. We don't then take again, but then we know what we're dealing with because whitening becomes the first part of the treatment plan. Then, as you know, 85% of patients opt for further aesthetic or necessary or restorative because they're motivated from that. So you need a baseline on which to start. And we also teach that most dentists, because they think it's trivial, they don't do comprehensive treatment planning.
And so to do comprehensive treatment planning, it means the patient has to be away. The go patient goes away. You have the data. You have the x-rays, the notes, the photos, the microscopic. I take the little intraoral microscopic photos. And I sit at my desk. And I do, you can't see what, just here, but I've had three screens. I have that at home now. I've installed that since lockdown where things were like chaos at home. Um, we've installed three screens. So on one screen, I have my patient photos. On the next screen, I have the x-rays and I have a clinical notes on the third screen. And I sit and I dedicate time every week to just doing treatment planning. Because then when you've got clear time, you know, we are so busy at dentists and we, we're doing a lot of diagnosis on the go every three seconds when the patient comes in to diagnose, etc. Medics don't do that. You have to wait for hours in the hospital to get your x-ray, to find out what the story is. You know, we're just making instant decisions. But when we're talking about a new patient who has hopes and aspirations, we need clear thinking time where nobody disturbs us and we can look at those x-rays and see what we need to see and, and work out a clear, defined comprehensive treatment planning and and in terms of dentists if more dentists would do that take an hour out of their day they're not doing dentistry but planning treatment things would be much easier you do better dentistry comprehensive dentistry your patients appreciate the value of that more and you get you know you get to enjoy doing your dentistry because you get to do the dentistry that you love I love everything about that. And it reminded me very much of, I think it was about episode 48, we had Zach Cara and what you described about, you know, we are diagnosing on the spot and then we are splurging these uh, treatments on the spot without giving it much thought, unlike our medical colleagues. And that's what Zach termed as a shotgun treatment planning. So we need to move away from that and move towards uh, comprehensive dentistry. Uh, Linda, thanks so much for that amazing, inspirational uh, introduction. I, I feel like I, I know you a lot better now as well. You've already, I've been to so many of your lectures, but I really like that insight you gave. This episode is about a very controversial topic. Now, there's so many controversies in Whiting, and maybe at the end, I might just ask you about how we're going to combat all these beauticians and non-dentists doing whitening. Maybe you can say, that might be a whole other episode. But this episode is about um, the, the contentious issue of whitening and under-18s. Now, the reason I, this came about, Linda, and the reason, reason I reached out to you as the authority, in my opinion, for this is I have had experience in the past where like many dentists, you, you see a child that's being bullied at school, maybe 12, 13, 14. I just find it ludicrous that nothing can stop me from placing composite veneers or ceramic veneers or whatever, uh, but I can't do whitening because... Or cutting them, or cutting them down. Or, yeah, or, or cutting them down for, yeah, or cutting them down or doing something additive, which is still, you know, when you know that you will get a predictable and good result with teeth whitening. So um, I, I'll put my hand up and I say, I do illegal teeth whitening. So I do it, okay? Because technically I'm breaking the law because they're under 18. But in my eyes, I think the the patient's best interest and the moral interest of the patient is, is, is beyond that of some silly, honestly, I think it's a silly law, personally, and I'd love to hear your opinions on it. Now, I do take it very seriously. So the child has to be, you know, bullied or has to be um, bad enough. If it's really mild, a couple of white spots, I will wait till 18 just because practicing defensive dentistry. But I'm happy to whiten for a you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 year old in the right cases, if they're being bullied, if it was my own child, I would. However, when I posted this on the Protrusive Dental Community Facebook group, some dentists, which I really love and respect, they were like, I don't care, I, don't do it, you're gonna get into trouble because the law, if something happens, then you're breaking the law and this is illegal. So then this is, it opened a can of worms. So my first question to you, Linda, is, how have we ended up in this situation? How, what, what's the genesis in a couple of minutes in terms of how do we end up in a situation where we could do this uh, whitening treatment before and now uh, we can't? 
or, or supposedly we can't, in any quotation. We'll come on to what you actually recommend. So here's the story. The story is that um, we've been lobbying. You know, we used to be in Europe, so we used to comply with European legislation. Um, and the story is that um, we, we lobbied for change because before that the law was even more uh, draconian where it says all tooth whitening was illegal and you couldn't do it. You couldn't use more than 0.1% and you'd be locked up in jail for six months if you did whitening. That was until 2011. And in 2011, they made changes to the law which came out in 2012. So we, we lobbied in Europe for changes. And I went to Europe to um, meet with the European Council of Dentists. You see, I, I do travel to meet and, and to, make, you know, to make these decisions. So we went, we arrived in, in Brussels. Uh, Lenders, I'm so sorry, I have to stop you. I just, just ask, because um, it's playing on my mind now. That context of we couldn't use more than 0.1%, that's specifically for under-18s, right? This was for all of UK. So you're telling me that any dentist who had whitened before 2011 uh, technically was breaking the law? Yeah. That's hilarious. I know. And so that's why in 2008, we established the British Dental Bleaching Society. I was lecturing one day, and Sir Paul Beresford, who's a dentist and an MP, he said, Linda, I understand your South African accent, don't worry. And I, I understand your humor. Not everybody understands your humor. Um, but I get the message that you're trying to explain, and that is that we need to make some change in the UK law. We, we do need to make changes. This is wrong. So we established the uh, Bridge Dental Bleaching Society with the basis of educating dentists in competency and clinical skills in whitening <clears throat> and also in trying to explain, create awareness of the situation where things can be changed. <clears throat> and so then there was also controversy. The other controversy was that um, there was, do you remember when we shut down, the whole of the UK was shut down for bleach. There was a com patient complaint and the patient complaint um, was given, this is before this time, over the counter, she was given 10% hydrogen peroxide as mm. a take-home, which damaged her clothes. And she wanted compensation for her clothes, for the damage that the bleach had on her clothes. And then the dentist asked another controversy. The dentist said, well, let me see your clothes, a bit like Monica Lewinsky, a bit like, let's, let's see that evidence. And then instead of just saying, sure, settle, um, what happened, it w went to the, the trading standards. And so the trading standards took this matter up and actually managed to shut down all the supplies of whitening. I had no idea. When, 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 when was this? This was about just before that or so. Okay. And um, that was another controversy. But coming back to the under the 18s, when, so when they changed the law, there's two really good studies to look at. It's called the SCCNFP, if you Google SCCNFP hydrogen peroxide. I will put these links on the, on the show notes, uh, Linda, so I'll put it all there for everyone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. SCCNFP, um, 2008 and 2005, they did a comprehensive study of hydrogen peroxide. And they, looks at, they looked at how toxic was hydrogen peroxide. If a baby should get hold of a bottle of hydrogen peroxide and drink it, how toxic would it be? And so they gathered evidence for hydrogen peroxide to check the safety because there's always, um, there's always a question on safety, which shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. And so the, these particular papers were commissioned by the European Council of Dentists to be able to present this evidence. It, as we said, the law was changed in 2012 and that we comply with that. So this is nearly 10 years. 
But because of safety and lobbying from other countries in Europe, they thought, well, let's just only have it available to adults. There was no reason to not permit, I'll just go slowly on this, there was no reason to not permit under 18. The European Council at the time said, we don't know and we haven't seen enough evidence. Not that we don't think it's safe. And so we presented a lot of evidence. So then we went back, the UK Commission to Europe, and that included um, Kathy Harley, um, Dr. Kathy Harley, who's a pediatrician, consultant pediatrician, pediatric dentist, myself, Paddy Fleming. And Paddy Fleming was head of the European, um, European Association of Pediatric Dentists. The reason I'm mess um, telling you this is that Paddy Fleming said, it's against a child's human rights to deny them the right to health. So you cannot do this in the UK, deny these children the right to tooth whitening because it's in the UN Charter. Mm -hmm. So, you know, stop all this nonsense. Every single child has a basic human right, which is the right to health. Amazing. Okay? So that's where we... we all this chitter-chatter and all this, you know, nonsense... In the end of the day, every child has a right to health, and that includes mental well-being and includes the whitening. Mm -hmm. So you, we've got actually no leg to stand on, and all this fuss is actually puts it into perspective when it's the human rights of a child under 18 to have the right to health. So it's safe to say that, um, Linda, your own opinions and views and what you practice is that um, as long as there is a case to improve some a, a child's health, that you will um, advocate, teach and do yourself teeth whitening on under 18s. Is, is, is that fair to say? Correct. But also the General Dental Council were very clear in their direction. And they said if there's treatment of disease for under 18s, then it's appropriate to treat mm -hmm. for whitening. And so we pr produced a paper with Kathy Harley, my son Joseph Greenwell Cohen, and Van Haywood, un underlying the 10 reasons why it's appropriate and when it's appropriate to treat under 18 children. Not just because they're going to the school prom and they want to look super stunning mm -hmm. or be a Love Island contestant. No. It's because they want to, they, have, they are suffering because they're being teased at school. So what's happened is that there is a now a globe. You know, we in COVID at the moment, but there's a bigger pandemic, which is the problems with MIH, molar incisor hypermineralization. It's one in eight mm. children's teeth erupting, have white spots, white marks and discolorations on teeth. Mm. You know, we, it never used to be like that 20 years ago. We were dealing with a little bit of fluorosis, but now we're dealing with a major pandemic, a global pandemic of MIH. I certainly see it see it loads, Linda. And actually, uh, we have a very international audience here. We have dentists from Canada, uh, from Taiwan, all over the world. Now, when I was doing my elective in Vietnam, I was with a group of uh, Canadian dentists, and they were, uh, um, you know, 25 years my senior at that point. They were celebrating uh, 25 years out of dental school at that point. Uh, and when I told them about MIH, so I, this was like in 2011, I recently learned about it. I was documenting it. They had no idea. Uh, and a lot of my uh, co international colleagues had never heard of MIH. So if, just for, if you spend a minute just telling dentists who, who maybe an international audience, I feel like in the UK we have a better grip on this, but what is MIH? It stands for Molar Incisor Hypermineralization. And the reason that we have this is that there's, basically there's a hundred reasons why. So anything that occurs 
when the cell is developing, the tooth cell, the enamel cell, the tooth cell is developing in utero, anytime there's oxygen starvation, there is likely to be um, a defect uh, and white spot, but also this affects the enamel, the dentine, and the erupting tooth. It occurs at the time when the sixes are developing and the central incisor tips. And so anything prenatally, perinatally, or postnatally, anything that happens, mother is ill, um, mother is um, exposed to antibiotics, mother has a hospital admission, the baby, this affects the baby. And so anytime oxygen is starved from this in developing enamel cell, the myeloblast will result possibly in white spots. For example, twins. Twins are more likely to get it. Premature birth, you're like, likely to get it. Anytime any antibiotic is administered and any childhood fever and illness, those are the basics. Celiac disease, for example, vitamin D deficiency, all those times is when something affects. So there's a medical situation that affects the baby or the mother and the baby's teeth are born with it. We live, I think we live in a more toxic society, more polluted society. So there was a story in Sweden which was reported. There was dioxin in the rivers in Sweden and they found dioxin in the breast milk of these babies and the babies were developing later on, they were developing these white spots on teeth. So it's hypermineralization, the enamel is not forming properly and it can result in white, white marks, brown marks, yellow marks, a breakdown um, when the tooth post-eruptive breakdown. But the main thing is that um, there's a wide variety from minimal to extreme. And, and the extreme cases, the children are so sensitive, they call them cheese-like molars. The child is holding their hand in front of their mouth because when they breathe in, it's so sensitive. They're not faking it. We think it's overdramatic, but they're not faking it. They have super sensitive teeth. The teeth have post-eruptive breakdown. They're just like cheese peeling off. Mm -hmm. And the extreme cases, those children at age nine have to have the molar teeth extracted mm -hmm. because they're in so much pain. Very classically uh, difficult to numb up and also uh, misdiagnosed as caries and the, the, the whole spiel about, you know, diet advice and, and, and that's wrongly directed to that child who just had a genuine, you know, oh, my, does my child have weak teeth? Like, no, they don't. But in this case, this child generally did have weakened teeth in those uh, more uh, moderate severe cases absolutely there's again there's a really good facebook site an mih facebook site which publishes um articles research that any publication related to mih which is really nice Amazing. is shared on that site um and there's a really good website which is called the d with a three group.org that's for patients for clinicians for academics for researchers all about mih and and the causes and how to distinguish for example between fluorosis and mih so to understand that so these children there's a so one in eight of the uk children let's say have mih so therefore you can't from a mild point of view their treatment is whitening from the mm. mildest point of view. From the major point of view, it's restorative. So it's combination with restorative anesthetic, but you know you have to do early intervention and you can't do normal seals on the children. You have to do glossoonoma and treat as soon as the, the, you see this post-eruptive breakdown, don't leave it. You know, So we, that's what our conference was on Friday, all about um, treating these kids mm. uh, with that. And so what happens at enamel, um, is so weak and porous that soon after eruption, the teeth become brown because they're absorbing all the food. And this is when the children are 
um, teased at school, walking around with brown teeth. So I see these kids, and what we are doing with permission from the mothers is we record the child's story and we record the mother's story because sometimes at the end of treatment the mothers cry and it's not because of the fees associated with the treatment. <laughs> it's, because, it's because of the impact on their child that what we did is we took them on their journey for whitening and microabrasion and resin infiltration, but we sorted it out so simply. And that's all it takes for the child to feel good about themselves. And most of the, the biggest impact is those children in year six when they're just finishing junior school and going into high school, they've had already many years of being bullied. And often we treat these kids when, so just before the end of junior school, those that last term, we get these teeth sorted so they can go into junior school and say, wow, look at my teeth now and stop the bullying. So when they move into high school, that is not an issue for them. What, what's the lower limit in terms of age, uh, Linda, in terms of, okay, now we've gotten past the fact that, uh, okay, even though this silly law says it's uh, illegal or whatever, you know, when there is a health issue uh, and it falls in the category and you can uh, improve a child's mental health and you've accepted that, what is the, the lower li age limit for whitening that you would suggest? Um, about 11 or 12. There's no... So, again, I consulted my mentor, Van Hayward, to ask him what is the lower limit. There is actually no lower limit because it's perfectly safe. So, Jazzy, I just want to tell you that the person who's done the most research on whitening for kids, his name is Kevin Donnelly. And Kevin Donnelly's in the US. He's a pediatric dentist. So in 2019, we brought him over to the UK to present at our conference, Saving Kids Teeth. And he presented his evidence and research to show that it's perfectly safe. So the law, it's a matter of classification and clarification. It's not because it's not safe, because from his research and other research, just because the child has a large pulp doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be sensitive. Actually, it's the other way around. It actually helps to clear out the whitening gel through the pulp. And actually, that's a, an advantage. So there's no question on safety. There's another researcher whose name is Yimin Lee at the University of the Loma Linda. So his life's work, his last 30 years, have been dedicated and devoted to safety of whitening. And again, all of them categorically um, have looked at this. It's not a safety issue. So now we're going back to say, okay, what can we do to change the law? You have to go back and we've met with, um, we, we've consulted with many people and we come back to the same argument about, is it safe? But we know the law was only a matter of admin that they said, okay, well, let's just not allow it. There was no reason for it. Mm -hmm. So when you try, I've been lobbying for this for a long time, like 10 years, lobbying the people and say, okay, now we're not in Europe anymore. So we don't have to listen to the European legend. Let's just make our own rules. Let's just do this. And what is it going to take to change the rules? And so we've been consulting to see, and can we do this and can we do this? And then we have to consult with the chief dental officers of the United Kingdom. Now, as you know, during COVID, they've got a lot of other issues. So tooth whitening to them is trivial because they're solving other world problems in oral health and oral health inequalities. But to that child who's been bullied at school, that is not a trivial situation. So we are consulting with um, psychologists to be able to look at this, to measure the impact of a. It's basically measuring the impact of appearance on a child who's suffering because they're being bullied from their appearance to be able to present that evidence. We should not even have to present the scientific story. 
but we are. We're busy collating for the Royal College now a whole new document. So just to rewind a little bit, we in Europe, we presented a document to the European Commission of Dentists, CED, um, and it was really well done with all the evidence in the literature. And they sort of said, oh, but it's only 66 pages, not 100. And we're like, seriously? (laughs) And so, and when we got there, the Belgians were a little bit concerned. They were like, so what's going to happen? I said, don't worry, nothing's going to happen. It's all going to be fine. And then the next minute we were out of Europe and um, it was a whole, it was a whole story. But the other European countries are not listening. They don't follow the whitening that, you know, we are so strict. Um, And so then when we presented our paper on the under 18s, when, or here are the 10 categories, this is when you can do it. Just go ahead and do it and do what's in the child's best interest because these childs are being impacted. Linda, can I, can I share that paper with the Petrus Rati? Can I, can I put that in the show notes? Yeah. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Yeah, it's on my on my website for download. But um, absolutely, I'll give you that paper. Um, but but actually, it's really important that everybody knows that they can go ahead and do the and do this whitening without being worried. In my textbook, which was published by second the second edition, two thousand and seventeen, it took me another seventeen years because I had another baby, started a practice, <laughs> and, and started a charity, uh, you know, all that stuff, and so. I wrote an impact report, um, an index of treatment need for whitening. You know how we have an index of treatment need for orthodontics? Author. Mm-hmm. I wrote an index of treatment need for, for bleaching. Amazing. And- um, into five categories, which is, the, you know, which is the most severe. If, For example, if the child is impacted you know, and they're suffering, then absolutely that's the right. All different categories. How, you know, how much stain, what, what's the situation, is there sensitivity, etc.? If the mother's impacted but not the child, it doesn't really need to be done because the child is not. You know, so there's a whole lot of scenarios. But I, I, um, I wrote that up because I had to give it clear thought as to when is the best time for undertaking the treatment for the children. So that is in my opinion. But age 15, you know, your teenage years are really stressful. I feel sorry for these kids. Um, so there's the 11, 12, 13s. Then 15, they become even more body conscious at 15. And then they... Uh, and then again, they want it. And at 17 is just before the end of high school. At all ages is when it's appropriate if that child is being impacted. And if all you need to do is change those brown marks to white or um, to, you know, to sort this out through whitening microabrasion and uh, mi- whitening microabrasion, resin infiltration and bonding, minimal invasive, that is the best option for patients. So then we took this evidence to the Medical Defense Union. And spoke to them and said, okay, here's the story. You know, we need to change, you know, in terms of how you're going to cover for uh, for indemnity, how you're going to cover mm-hmm. the dentists mm-hmm. in the UK. Here's the information. Here's the stuff. And they go, I can't see a reason why you can do whitening. There can be no legal reason for doing whitening. And we said, absolutely not. That's really that's not the case. So we are still in debate. Mm-hmm. And I've discussed it with other medical um, defense organizations to s- explain this is in the child's bent interest. This needs to be done. You can't leave the child for six years. Now, I'll just take it personally. My child um, was born with a heme angioma. My fourth child was born with a heme angioma on his face. And it grew and grew till the size of a little cherry tomato. And I was sitting in a lecture at the ADA conference when the child was two, listening to the impact of these children suffering from um, 
they used to call them FLKs. They're not allowed to call them FLKs. That's called funny looking kid. You're not allowed to say that anymore, but um, they were suffering from their appearance. And I thought, wait a minute, my own child is sitting with a strawberry, a cherry, a hemangioma on his face and look what I'm doing to him. And somebody, um, somebody stopped me in the street and said, you know, you can get treatment for this. So again, I went to the UK dentists, uh, UK surgeons, and nobody would operate. And we had to fly to Germany and the child could have this hemangioma removed. And age two, his whole personality changed because wow. that hemangioma was removed from his face. And um, to this day, he won't eat strawberries or cherries because of this experience. He's now um, going to be 19 next week. Wow. But um, when it came to his teeth, he had trauma to his teeth. Um, we, you know, I repaired them. I whitened them. You know, it's a very important, the appearance. And, you know, we've done whitening for him. Of course we have, um, to, to, you know, to help him. But so it's, it's a personal story as well. When I realized from these, these children that are impacted, it's the right thing to do and we need to act in the child's best interest. When it comes to a complaint, it's not only the clinical dentistry, it's notes, it's uh, communication. There's all other aspects which all medical defense organizations, uh, protection societies, that's what they cover. It's not only the clinical dentistry because that's a tiny part of it. So I think we're blowing it out of proportion and everybody gets very, um, what's the word? They all got their opinions, but they're not listening to the science and the research and the evidence. Dentists are very afraid, uh, Linda, because they're worried about backlash. They're worried about going against uh, what the, the authority is telling us. They're worried about, will if something happens, if the proverbial hits the fan, will my defence society back me up? What I really want to know is, do you think a dentist could get in trouble with the law by carrying out whitening in under-18s? No. Good. That's exactly what I was hoping. <laughs> no. Um, but as a dentist, I've had to do a lot of medical legal write-ups for, you know, as an expert witness. But when we, when we learn about what can go wrong, you need to practice good dentistry. It comes back to the basics of professionalism at all times. It's always about professionalism, about doing the right thing, of making contemporaneous notes on asking the patient what's, you know, what would be your hopes and aspirations. I ask the child, what would you, what would you like to happen? What would be your hopes? And or, or ask the mother. And then we, I, I do ask a child, are you being teased at school? Are you being bullied? Is anyone saying nasty comments about your teeth? I'm not a psychologist, so we can't go into the psychology, but I do ask them directly to get the impact. Is this impacting you? And based on all that, we'll absolutely do the treatment. And as the treatment progresses after we whiten, you know, when we break down the whitening, the, the protocol is that whitening for the upper first. But as, a, as you take the patient through the journey and you see how their self-esteem is building up because those yellow marks are now removed after two weeks, how their life has changed. I mean, we don't say anything, but you see it in themselves. The kid feels better about themselves. They've got, got more confidence. Some of them wear the white T-shirt because it's white teeth and the white T-shirt. <laughs> and, you know, they're starting to feel better about themselves. And all, you know, the, the, the child needs right to dignity and respect. And, and if that's all it takes, then absolutely. Are there any changes or modifications to your protocols that we need to, uh, for, for teeth whitening in general, that uh, because of the age, so let's say you've got a 14, 15 year old, uh, they have a brown appearance of the teeth because maybe potentially MIH and we're starting some teeth whitening uh, because we don't want to 
let them suffer mentally and we don't want to hack these teeth down or add any composite and it's the right thing to do. So we've, that's exactly what we, the, the basis of what we've discussed so far. But in terms of your protocol, is there any, any unique considerations for this age group uh, that, that might change your usual protocol? I think that one uh, mistake that most dentists make internationally is they use too high a concentration of bleach. Um, in the US and Canada, they go straight for the highest strength. And the rule is that the higher the concentration of gel, the more the sensitivity. Okay. And so, and then the more the child, if it's too sensitive, then there's likely to stop treatment or terminate treatment. So we go, as we've always done, low and slow. Um, low concentration, whitening over a period of time. And most dentists, and we, I talk to many dentists about whitening all the time, they go for the highest strength first to go, oh, let's be quick. And if it's too quick, then you get regression of the shade. So by building it up low and slow, upper teeth first for two weeks, then you, then you review, look at the canines, see what shade they are. Then you go on to the lower, the lower is longer, the lower is more sensitive, and so the upper is quicker and no sensitivity or less sensitivity. You take them on this journey of confidence building, value building, and trust in the dentist as the patient is saying, wow, and you get the appearance and the oral health. Let's come back. I just want to tell you one, a couple more things. Yes, please. Carbamide peroxide is used in neonates, in eye drops, and ear drops. In 1968, the orthodontist, whose name is Bill Klausmeier in North Carolina did a report of him using this technique in the children's retainers for 40 years and reported that, you know, nobody, there was no breakdown, there was no need for, you know, no one needed a root canal, broke a tooth, you know, as a result of this technique. So it's been around a long time. So when you come, when you turn it all around and it's not about aesthetics, it's about health, hydrogen peroxide heals the gingiva. Mm-hmm. It heals, it stops the swelling, it stops the retention of plaque, it heals root decay, heals tooth decay, um, elev- the carmide peroxide elevates the pH uh, um, and elevates it because it contains urea. So all this is about health. So when you start with before anything else, as dentists, we are oral health healers. And we're always wanting our patients to have oral health sustainability, improving, that oral health is improving, and it's about oral health. And hydrogen peroxide is about oral health. So you use these products. So often on patients, we use whitening for the purpose of healing the mouth. So on a, we use the whitening gel. So we make a bleaching tray, but instead of giving the um, instead of giving 10% carmide peroxide, we use 5% carmide peroxide. 5% carmide peroxide is known as Novon Mild. Novon Mild is from OptiDent. That's lower strength for healing the gingiva. Mm-hmm. Elderly patient as well, poor oral hygiene, um, arthritis, they can't brush, they can't hold the toothbrush, um, root decay. You clean up the mouth by using carmide peroxide in a bleaching tray. So when it comes back to it, these children have been, you, the, the treatment has been done on children for healing the gingiva post-ortho. Mm-hmm. So it comes back to health again. It's always about health for these kids. And just by the way, for those kids during ortho, do you know you see your kids, they, the kids come back after ortho and their teeth are a little bit more yellow, orange or brown mm-hmm. post-ortho. There's a reason for it. The reason is that as you're having the braces put on, there's micro bleeds that occur in the bone 
from on the mm. ligament there's micro bleeding and that bleeding causes the discoloration post or that you see I, I i did not know that there we are i'm sure a lot of listeners uh, learned something then uh, so much from this episode we've just got a couple of minutes left and i just want to ask you this this final uh, question for i just open the mic to you to your you know your passionate plea has been so uh, infectious or we definitely need to do something to 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 reset everything and actually make everything right but the the, the question i had was communication one when you have a child who's potentially being bullied and you're considering uh, teeth whitening. Is there anything you say to the, the mother and the child to say that, actually, here's what I'm suggesting. Technically, if you Google it, it, it might say it's illegal, but I think I'm passionate about this because X, Y, and Z. Or do you think it's, we don't need to go uh, in that direction? I personally do say, technically, it's illegal, but I'd rather do that than cut your teeth down or add composite or this. And I have that spiel. What, what do you do and what do you recommend? After I've understood, again, this is Stephen Covey, it always says, first seek to understand. So after we understand from the child what it is that's worrying them about their teeth. So, I mean, we've treated children who need, who need major ortho and the teeth are all sticking out like that. <clears throat> but actually, it's the color that's really impacting them. So I ask them what it is that you would like. And then we discuss, and I say to the mother, that it's their, the child's human right. It's their right to have a right to health. Mm -hmm. I don't say, do you realize I could be locked up in jail for doing this? Because it's <laughs> what is in the patient's best interest. And, you know, it's all about the patient with proper notes, with proper photos, with explaining that the law says in the UK that there's no under whitening for under 18s unless there's it's a disease. So that's how I tell it. Mm -hmm. I said, we can do this. Um, if there's a disease a process under 18, we can do that. Your child has MIH, amelogenesis, imperfecta, um, stain from their Roaccutane medication, um, white spots, brown spots, trauma, then this is the right thing to do. Often, I mean, if, if it, yeah, so that's how, we, that's how we handle that. The mother, I've explained to the mother why we're doing it. I've given the diagnosis. I've given the options for treatment. Do nothing, observe, monitor, uh, composite bonding, whitening, icon, microabrasion. I've given the whole range. And then again, if it's an MIH patient treating restoratively, first take them out of pain and then take them on the journey. Amazing. That, that covers it really well. So that's uh, one of the other things that people are asking on our protrusive uh, dental community Facebook group about, okay, how do you even communicate this once we actually go over the fact that a, very a lot of dentists are passionate that we shouldn't be doing this in under-18s. And these are dentists that I respect and I love. So I sh I'm so glad to share uh, the opinion and advice of someone who I respect so much in the realms of teeth whitening. Uh, Linda, you've absolutely given so much value in this episode. I want everyone to check out your website. Please tell us your website again. Any courses that you put on, because I think everyone who hasn't done a whitening course and is not getting great results and you need to follow some of your techniques and pearls, um, I, I would love for them to, to join you on that. So if you could just please uh, tell us about that. Thank you very much. Um, we're doing a lot of online hands-on treatment, by the way, uh, um, training because of COVID. So you can do it wherever you are and do the hands-on with icon and, and resin infiltration, etc. Um, the websites, also my Facebook, please look at Greenwall Dental, Greenwall Dental Education, uh, Dental Wellness Trust for my charity and um, lindagreenwell.com. Go to resources. All my publications are there, the list of courses and events and, and look at our study groups and all that. It's all online, all the information. 
I'm going to link that all in the show notes. So do click on and, and check Linda's workout. Please support what she does because she is, you know, doing so much for our profession in terms of making teeth whitening where it should be. And I applaud you and I, and I encourage you, Linda, keep fighting a good fight. Uh, we need people like you to do that. And thank you so much for making time to come on the Petrusa General podcast. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, there we have it. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Linda. I told you it was something special. And I hope you liked how we covered this very controversial subject. You know, I'm no stranger to controversy. Uh, you kind of have to have thick skin and uh, be able to deal with controversy if you're putting yourself out there like, with, like I do with the podcast. I'm totally cool with that. But it's all about sharing different views. And I'm definitely on Linda's side here. Like if I have a, a young patient who's getting bullied uh, for their health, it'd be a wrong thing to deny their human right of it. So teeth whitening may be part of that. So I'm all for it. I hope you are now as well. And if you're not, that's totally cool. You do what feels right to you. Now, if you like Linda, do check out her website. All the information you need is on the show notes on the Petrusive website, including the wonderful charity work that she does. Please do show her your full support. So I'll catch you in the next episode, guys. Thank you. 